0: You guys have a seat this morning well good morning church how are we doing you guys doing well yep look amazing. My name is Greg Brazil. I am the uh, North Campus pastor. I'm glad to be with you, with you uh, this morning. Um, so if you're a guest here, we're glad you're here. For the past uh, nine weeks, we've been in a series, in the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. Uh, and so our hope in this series of kind of going through um, these Ten Commands is to show you how good these laws are for us, uh, that God's laws are not meant to um, restrict you or uh, rob your freedom. They're actually meant to free us, not enslave us. They're meant to give us joy, give us wisdom, give us peace, not rob those things. So we want you to see that God, when God speaks to us and God says, do not do this and refrain from this, it's always for our joy. Uh, so First John 5, 3, to kind of just recap on this, First John 5, 3 reminds us how we ought to see God's law. Um, it's not as some uh, spiritual to-do list or some burden for us. It's not, but these laws are now invitations to enjoy God and to obey him. So First John 5 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Like his commands are not meant to weigh you down and to restrict your joy and restrict your freedom. They're actually meant to give you joy and give you freedom. That's how we should see uh, these ten commands and all that God uh, commands us in his word. His word is always pure and right and just and more desirable than gold, uh, the psalmist um, reminds us. And the reason is grace always comes before God's law. So Israel, we saw weeks ago, Israel was a slave in Egypt. And God hears their groaning, God hears their cries, and he looks down and he swoops in like an eagle and he rescues them. Then he brings them out and says, here are the ways to obey me. So God did not say, if you will obey me, then I will rescue you. Or if you will do all that I say, then I will love you. No, it's reverse God loves them first. God rescues them first. God saves them first. Then God says, "Hear my laws and how to walk in my ways and enjoy uh, and, and obey me. Now, we come to this morning uh, the 10th commandment, and we've looked so far at the first nine. We've dealt with, I mean, just all kind of issues of idolatry, having other gods above the Lord, um, issues of our work and Sabbath keeping, uh, possessions, relationships, our speech, our sexuality. We've covered just a whole host of things The 10th commandment, though, I'm convinced is the most unique of maybe of all these commands. Because all the other commands, they they first address an outward action, but this command directly addresses the heart first. God goes after and God speaks directly into our desires and our wants and our longings. So here's uh, the text this morning, Exodus chapter twenty. We always read verse 1, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. I'm Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now here's the the 10th commandment that God gives to Israel. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, I love what God, what God does here because the other, the other nine commands, they start on the outside and they work their way into our hearts. So, for example, when God says do not murder, murder is an outward visible action that everyone can see. Now, to apply that, though, to obey that, you must deal with your inward um, hatred, anger, envy, jealousy. You must deal with those inward sins, but it starts on the outside. Uh, Same thing with adultery, like that's an outward action, but to obey that and to apply that, you must deal with inwardly your lust and sensuality and and, and those kinds of things. So it starts on the outside, though, and works its way in. This law just flips all of that. And, And God starts and says, do not covet. Do not covet what your neighbor has. Anything that's your neighbor's, any possession, any experience, any person, do not covet those things. He goes straight to the heart. Because God is always after the heart, by the way. Like he always wants to go. He's not concerned just with outward external obedience. He wants you to obey from the heart. And so God wants to be Lord over all of your impulses, all of your motives, all your desires, all your wants. God wants to be Lord over those things, and you obey him in those ways. And so God wants your wants. He desires your desires is what's going on here. And so this command directly addresses the heart and things that we long for and want. And so this command, um, in some ways, is just asking the question, what are you really after? Like right now on this day, what are you actually after? What is your heart most desire and most want? Now, on the other side of this is it's hard to see when you break this law. Like there's no guesswork when it comes to stealing something or adultery. Like, you know, that's not yours. Like that's not your spouse. That's not your, like, if you take someone's car, you don't think, is this wrong? Like, am I breaking a law right now? Is God okay? No, you know that you're committing a crime in that moment. But when it comes to coveting, you, you don't always know when you're breaking this. In fact, I think this is probably the most dangerous, that breaking this law is the most dangerous for us because it's so easy to hide this one. Because this one's happening beneath the surface and just lurking at the, the deepest parts of who you are and the center of who you are. And so it's easier to justify this one, easier to cover this one up, easier to hide this one. But God goes after our hearts on this and tells us, do not covet. Now, before I, I tell you what coveting is, let me, like all preachers, tell you what it's not, okay? The way to really have a longer sermon is to, to define something by what it's not than by uh, what it is. So, but just so we're clear, okay? The, the command here is do not covet. The command is not, and hear me on this do not desire. Okay, God is not saying when God says do not covet your neighbor's wife or house or donkey or car or whatever it is, when he says do not covet that, he's not saying at the same time do not desire a house or a spouse or a job or a promotion or a scholarship. He's not saying don't desire those things. He's not saying don't desire money or desire an income that actually sustains you. Those are good desires. Okay, a desire for money is not necessarily an evil, covetous desire. It could be a good and right desire. Like God intends it to be a blessing to us and kindness to us. Okay, um, a desire for a car is not a bad desire. Of A car that gets you there and back again safely and timely is not a bad desire. Okay, nobody wants a hooptie. Nobody wants to drive a clunker that backfires in school zones and embarrasses you in front of you. Like nobody wants that car, okay? It's okay to desire those things. Um, a house or a spouse or a child or these things are good for us. They can be sinful, covetous desires, but not necessarily uh, as we'll see here uh, in a bit. So it's not the same thing as when he's not saying do not have desires and things that you That you go after. Um, Also, coveting is not the same thing as having ambition. Like, it is good for a person who follows Jesus to have a good, godly passion and ambition to work and achieve something. And so, having dreams or having goals and, and having things that you want to accomplish in your life, that's not necessarily the same thing as coveting. So, this command is not saying to us that you can now be lazy. So when it comes to your family, your career, your team, your school, whatever it is, he's not saying you can now just be lazy and just kind of, you know, skimp through life and just always have bedhead and you're always late. He's not saying to be lazy here. So you can't not study and then flunk a test and go, hey, God said don't covet. All right, look it up. It's his words, not mine. I'm just, I'm just being content. No, you should not be content with mediocrity and not giving your best and going hard after something. It's not the same thing um, as being ambitious. So ambition, drive, passion, um, all these things aren't necessarily the same thing as coveting, though they can go wrong. And that's essentially what coveting is. The way that you break this law is when those passions and desires and things you're going after, that desire goes wrong in your heart. It's when your passions move to the level of an idol. It's when your desires, in your, there's this inner grasping. There's this inner restlessness to where now this thing, this possession, with this experience, whatever you're after, it now matters most. Like it now matters too much to you. And so your imagination and your thoughts and your conversation are just filled with gaining and attaining and getting this certain thing that's out there. And so now this thing begins to matter too much. It turns from, I would like to have that. Or it would be so great if this happened to, I must have that. In fact, I demand that. Unless I have that, I can't have life. Unless I get that, I'm dead. All right? That's when you know you're starting to covet something. When those desires turn into demands... That unless God does this, unless I can get this, unless I can attain this, I can't be happy. And so this thing moves to the center of who you are in the core of your existence. And you begin to define yourself as someone that wants and desires that thing. Or on the other side of this, you want something only because someone else has it. This happens all the time with my yard. Like, I shouldn't care about grass and flowers that much. My neighbors, though, drive me crazy with their amazing yard. Okay, you want something only because someone else has it. It's not the thing itself that you're after. It's that you don't like that person and you want to somehow one-up that person. Okay, you don't want to bless your neighbor or serve your neighbor. You actually want to outdo your neighbor and show them up. And that surge of approval and power that comes with that is just so appealing in that moment. So I have, I have three young boys, and my youngest is two. He has a favorite toy. You know what it is? Whatever his brothers have. That's what he wants. Doesn't matter. It's not the thing itself. It's not the iPad or the Toy Story toy. It doesn't matter. It's that, that they have something, and if he can't have it, then, then no one should. This is coveting at at work. Something just consumes us, and we go after this. Now, we have to admit, I think, in this, and I had to admit this this week, I'm like, how do I talk about this issue? Because it's hard to know when your desires go wrong. I mean, what's the line, because you can't see this, what's the line in your heart to know when, what alerts you to the fact that, okay, this now matters too much? Because it can't be that, that excellence and, and drive and ambition, those aren't Those are God given things to us. How do you know when it matters too much, though? Let me tell you, I think, two ways that I've come up with, and I, I think that this, I, I hope this is right, but there are ways you can be certain when you are coveting something. Okay? One is this that you will sin in order to get that thing. Okay? You will sin to get it, or you will sin if you don't get that thing. right, you can be certain. I can't tell you how to pick through all your desires and give you all the, but I can tell you that whenever you desire something too much, if you will sin to get that thing, then you are coveting. Or if you don't get that thing, if it falls through or it's delayed or it's canceled or something happens and you, you don't get this thing, you run into sin, your heart has coveted after that thing. So you see something out there and you say, I will cross any line to get that. I've got to have it. I can only have joy. I can only have life. If I get that thing and I will do whatever it takes, even if it means stepping over and crossing other boundaries and shunning God's law in some way, I'm going after that thing. Or it's when you so hoped in something and it fell through and your plans just didn't unfold. And so now you're running into other things. Let me unpack these two areas for you uh, briefly. So first of all, You know your heart is coveting when you will sin in order to get something. It's a a possession, it's a relationship, it's someone's approval, it's a promotion, it's a lifestyle. There's something out there that it doesn't belong to you right now. For whatever reason, God and his plan for you has not given you that thing right now. And you think, I will do anything to get that, even if it means what God said not to do. If it means breaking other commands of God, I will go after that thing. I will get. Why do you think you lie? Why do you think you steal? Why do you think you break the Sabbath? Because you want something and you say, I will break other laws and other commands to gain that thing. So here's what James chapter 4 says. This very thing. James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you there's good passion there's bad it's all good, there's right there's wrong it's always just at war inside of you and here's what happens you desire and you do not have Right? you want it it's out there you don't have it yet so here's what you do you murder James says to get it someone else has this and you may kill In some way, you may hate that person or actually take their life in some way, but you will step over God's law to get that. And he says, you covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You want something and you can't get this, so you will sin in order to get it. And this happens all the time for us. There's something out there that we don't, we know what God said, we know what God says not to do. We just don't care because that thing now matters too much for us. So I was, uh, about nine years ago, I was uh, at an LSU-Arkansas game, football game. Um, Arkansas won in three overtimes, if you're wondering. Uh, Don't know why that matters. But anyway, so we're there, and it's like 95,000 people, and it's raining, and everyone's yelling, and it's loud. And I look over, and there is this purse right kind of behind me, this lady's purse. And it's wide open, and there's this massive roll of cash just right there in this purse. And so I look down, and I glance back up. And I look back down and I glance, For like five minutes, I'm going, okay, who is this? And why is it rolled up? And is it drug money? And did she kill someone? And is there more somewhere? Like all these questions. And this thought hits me take it. Take the money. So I did. I'm kidding. I didn't take it. I didn't take it. I, I was so tempted. I didn't take it, I promise. Had I taken the money, though, all right, I would have broken the eighth commandment that says, you shall not steal. Okay, that's pretty clear. Everyone would have known that. All right. Now, is money a bad thing? No. Okay, God made a way for us to get money. It's called a job. You work and you get a paycheck. That's, that's how God designed it to work. Coveting, though, says, take a shortcut. You, you do it your own way. Don't, don't worry about how the way God says, but you actually, you go and pursue this, you steal, you lie, you cheat, you commit adultery, you take it. That's what coveting does to us. That's coveting. It makes you step over other laws and shun God's law to get what you desire because you will sin to get something. And this happens whenever we cheat to make a better grade. Um, We steal to get possessions, or we overwork and not Sabbath to get a promotion. Um, We just, you know, kind of forget our convictions to get a date. Uh, All these things, we take on huge amounts of debt to justify some lifestyle we think will satisfy us and fulfill us. We will take on things, we will sin in certain ways in order to get. And when that's happening, if that's in your heart right now, you can be certain that this law that you're breaking this command uh, to do not not covet. Now, the other side of this, kind of the the, the back end of this, so the front end is you will sin to get. The back end of this, though, is when you want something and it doesn't happen. And maybe you're going after this in a good and right way. It's not mattering too much. It's not an ungodly desire right now. Then it falls through, and then you run into sin. And so you want something, you desire something, and it just fell through. Someone else got it or someone else took it or it was delayed or canceled or you had all these plans. They just all collapsed beneath your feet and everything just stopped for you. At that moment, you may be inclined to run into sin, to sink into deep anxiety and lack of trust in God. Now you're angry at him. And you're questioning God's goodness and God's kindness for you. You're envious toward other people and you're jealous and you start to hate them because of what they have. So you sin when you don't get something. You can be certain that that thing now is too close to your heart. It just mattered too much. Now, it's okay for it to hurt. It's okay for it to, to bring pain to your life. But there's a point where you go, this just mattered. This defined me and I didn't even know it perhaps. And so now you sin because you didn't get something. This happens with possessions all the time, lifestyle that you're just jealous of and yet you desire. I went to a guy's house years ago, not a guy in Austin, so a guy's house. And this guy's house was just so immaculate. It was massive. He had just had the house built. Um, There's just everything just smelled amazing and it was clean and it was new and there's just stainless steel and hardwood and granite just all over the house, surround sound. I mean, his, you know, his fireplace had stones from a castle in Scotland where like Braveheart lived and just all this amazing stuff. I'm like, I'm so in right now. I could never afford that house, but dang, I would live in that house if I could. Like that's that kind of, those kind of houses. And so we had dinner, had a great time. I get back home to my house and I had two thoughts. I hate my house and I hate that guy. Just being honest, just the safe place, I think. I mean, I'm like, in that moment, you see what happened, though? In that moment, coveting, I couldn't get something, and it caused me to sin. It caused me to actually, I can remember this, to actually have a moment of being very discontent with what God had given me and my income and my place in life and, my, and my, my measure of grace. And then just being in an unwarranted way, being envious and jealous of a guy that God's blessed him. He was an incredibly generous guy. Like I wasn't thankful in that moment for what God had given me. I wasn't praising God in that moment for what God had given him and going, that's what God's done in his life, not my life, and being content with that. Instead, I run into sin and hatred and envy and discontent and all these things. Now I'm frustrated at God and this guy for no no real reason. That's evidence that that coveting is at, at work in your heart. So things fall through for us. We can't get something. It's just out of reach for us. Coveting, it just breeds all kinds of other sins. And what often happens is if we can't have it, we think that no one should. And if they do have those things, we demonize that person. Well, they're just greedy. They're just insecure is why they have all that big, cool, nice, shiny stuff. They should grow up in Christ more. And you see this happening at work and at, in sports and at school and relationships. It just happens all over the place to where you think that you, that you want something And listen, those desires could possibly even be in check in that moment. You're just working hard. You're working for a promotion or a position or a title or something. And it's a good desire in that moment. Then someone else gets it. And it just falls through for you. Then you see how close to your heart it actually was. And all these, these sins begin just kind of coursing through your spiritual veins and your heart's just kind of pouring all these things out of envy and jealousy. And now you're indifferent and you're cold. Maybe you're, maybe you're just angry toward that person now. You see it in marriage. So, you know, you get in a fight with your spouse and then one spouse sees someone else out there and they're like, I wish my spouse were like that. I wish they looked like that and could cook like that and dressed like that. And treated me like that. And because you can't have it, what do you do? You go back home and now you have this anger towards your spouse. This secret, you know, you're judging them and you're indifferent toward them and you're cold toward them. Why? Because you can't have something and you run into sin because of that. This is what coveting, what it does for us. Your heart thinks that it wants something that's going to satisfy it, which it won't. But your heart thinks that... Even though your mind knows that it won't, your heart believes that that thing, that out there, if I can just get my hands around that, I'll have life and joy. Which is why I think that the the 10th command, um, in some ways, restates the first commandment. The first commandment was Exodus 20, verse 3. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, so what that command is saying is, do not love or treasure or esteem or value anything above the Lord. Like, he is to be the one that most defines you and gives you the highest joy, that your highest allegiance and all of your affections are on him and no one above him. But coveting turns your heart's gaze off of the Lord and on to something else and says that matters most. That's most important. And so in some ways, coveting is a new kind of idolatry. Because your heart says, right now, that is what is the most important thing. It is the ultimate thing for me right now. And Go after that. And what does Paul do in Colossians 3, 5? He calls coveting idolatry. Listen, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Which is idolatry. So, of all the things that Paul lists here, he kind of qualifies and says that coveting is idolatry. Now, all of those sins are idolatrous in some way, but this one has a unique way of breaking the first commandment because idolatry is essentially placing something else above the Lord. Um, something else matters more than him, you desire it more than him, you trust it and find security in it more than him, that's why you will sin to get or sin when you don't get. Because your heart is not trusting and, um, and loving and valuing God above everything, and so you run off in into other things. Because the heart always deceives us in, in this way. And so the question that really remains for us is, how do you fight against coveting? How do you obey this law? How do you not covet? Um, Because we've seen kind of in this series how, you know, it's do not lie from last week, but instead you speak the truth. Or do not steal, instead you become generous. Do not murder, instead you love and bless your neighbor. Like it's always something that fulfills this now because of, of the gospel. What this, the way you obey this is, it's do not covet, rather you be content. Like you pursue and you fight for contentment in every situation, in every part of your life. That's how you obey this command. Now, just so we're we're clear on this, I don't mean that your stuff is what makes you content. Because the idea is if I can just get to a certain place in my life, at that point, I will be content. If I have this house and this lifestyle and this salary and this family and this car and this neighborhood, if I get that, then I will be content. And that's the lie that we all believe. Just one more thing. If I can just get a little bit more money, a little bit more stuff, a little bit better golf clubs, a little bit like, if I can just get better stuff out there, then I will be content and satisfied. The problem with that is there's always new stuff coming out. Like there's always way more like amazing and faster and more innovative and shinier stuff. There's always something out there to go after. I mean, the way that we are making strides now with just new inventions and technology, it's amazing. So my, like my first laptop was gas-powered. I mean, this thing was like 40-inch screen, had a pull crank on it. I mean, it was terrible. Cost $3,000 and was this slow. My phone has more memory now than my first laptop does. It's crazy where things are going. It's only going to get better. And if you don't decide what contentment is, it's not in the things of this world. Because coveting, it always makes you think that there's something better out there. If I can just get my hands on that, then I will have life and joy. No, you will never find contentment in the things of this world. You will find contentment, though, in the one who made this world. I mean, whenever you delight yourself in the Lord... When you trust him, when you really treasure and esteem him, when you believe that he is for you and not against you, when you believe that he is enough for you, that he will sustain you, that he will provide for you, that he's watching over your life, when you actually believe that he is more than enough for you, then you'll be content. And there are two things about God, I think, when it comes to contentment, that you must believe about him um, to be content in him. You must believe that he is good and that he is in control. If you doubt either of the, if you doubt God's goodness towards you, if you doubt God's sovereign care over your life, you're going to find contentment kind of stirring in your heart and kind of creeping its head up. It's coming for you. You must believe that God is good. That in all the ways that he deals with us, in all the ways that he postures himself, toward us in all the ways that he speaks to us everything that God does it's always and only for good there is no deception in this God there is no trickery in him and he's filled with goodness toward you he's for you not against you which means that he's not holding anything out on you it means that he's not playing games with you that he's not he never regrets loving you he never second guesses saving you He's not holding anything good back from your life right now. You've got to believe that because coveting always wants to question God's goodness. It makes you question and, and ask the question, is God holding something back from me? Is there something better out there that God is not giving right now? He's not unfolding right now. There's something better out there and God is holding out on you. That's always what coveting wants to tell you in your heart. And you must believe this in the depths of who you are, that right now, wherever you are right now, maybe one of the worst seasons of your life, maybe one of the best seasons of your life, whatever is happening right now, God is working good in your life. Psalm 34 reminds us and tells us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see how good This God is, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It means God's not holding out on you. There's not some better lifestyle, some fantasy out there that God is somehow, that you somehow miss. God is working good in your life. And the other side of this is, though, that he's in control. I mean, you must believe that he is sovereignly watching over and orchestrating and ordaining and mysteriously moving in every single moment of your life. Every fiber of your being, every decision, every thought, all that happens to us is sovereignly cared for by this God. That he is moving you through this life, that he has this plan for you, he's working this plan for good. You have to trust this, because there are some seasons coming Like there are some seasons where you're going to miss out on something. You're going to be so tempted to sin in order to get or sin because you didn't get something. You have to hold on to this. See, God's goodness is what keeps us from sinning to get something. You go, I don't have to do this. God is good for me. God is kind toward me. I can trust him. I don't have to sin to get that. This one though, God's sovereignty, it keeps you that when life falls through, That when brokenness and when plans fail and when someone else gets what you worked for, when when that happens in your life, you have to trust that God is sovereignly watching over you and caring for you and not sin because you didn't get what you wanted. You must trust these things, that you can actually run to this God for refuge. That what he offers and how he satisfies us, there is nothing in this life that even compares, even comes close to what God offers to us. You can trust him. You can run to him. So you must not just believe these truths that he's good and sovereign. You must delight yourself in these truths. They must become precious to your heart. You must worship and treasure God because of who he is towards you. And the best way to do that is to see how far God went to prove to you that he is for you and watching over you. God went so far that he would send his son... To prove, not, not just to save you, not just to reconcile you, all those things are truth. He also did that to show you that He is for you. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. Here's what uh, Paul's argument in Romans 8 is this What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Hear what Paul's saying, If this sovereign God who made all things, who watches over all things, who has all power, all knowledge, he's all present. If he is for you, who cares who's against you? Who cares what life throws at you and what God allows into your life and sends your way? Nothing can undo his plan for your life. Things happen for you, not to you. You aren't some victim. You're a child that is sovereignly cared for by this God who is for you. Now, that begs the question, though, well, how do I know that? How do I know God is for me? Well, Paul tells us in verse 32 that he who did not spare his own son, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So Paul's saying here, you want proof that God's for you? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus dying, bleeding, crying out for you. You want to see God's sovereignty? See him raised up. See him reigning over all things. See the conquering king who's returning again to set all things right. You want to see that God is actually for you and in your life, then, then look at him. See him sending his son for you. So you don't have to covet because now you have him. You don't have to desire other things or sin when you don't get or sin to get. You have him. You can trust him. You can delight yourself in him. See him sending his son for you. You now have God's greatest possession, his son. And he is all that you can ever long for and desire. All that you want, all that you are after, all that you most desire and, and deeply treasure, is found in him. That's why Paul says, and we'll end with this, that's why Paul says in um, Roman, or, sorry, Philippians 4, That he can be content in whatever situation he's in. Here's what Paul says I know what it is to be in need. And some of you, right now, you know this. You know what it is to feel so tempted to break God's laws to get something because you're in need in some way. I know what that is, Paul says. I know what it is to have plenty, I know what it means to to have success and to prosper. I have learned the secret of being content, the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's why. Paul does not say because he got to a place in his life where the things of this earth made him content. He just got that degree and just got that spouse and just got that. No, he says, I can do all this. All this contentment in any situation through him who gives me strength. Through this God that sent his son, this God who sovereignly watches over his life and fills him with good. That's why he can be content in any situation. That's why you can be content in any situation of this life. You still work hard. You still pursue things. But when those things fall through, you don't gain those things, you're content. Because you trust this God who's for you, not against you. This God who gave his son for you, this God who sovereignly watches over your life, you worship him. You treasure him. Let him fill your heart with joy and life and all the goodness that he brings. So do not covet, but rather you can be content in any situation with this God. Let me pray for us. We'll sing together. Father, I pray that that right now in these next just couple of moments, Father, that you would search our hearts, God, that you would remind us and just bring to our attention all the ways that we pursue other things, things that our minds, that our hearts are too focused on, things that matter too much, things that, that will even cross the line and we will disobey you to get. Father, show us those ways that we wanted something and that it fell through and and that we're so tempted, maybe even right now, we're so tempted, God, just to, to not trust you, to not lean into you, to not hold on to you, God. I pray you would give us grace. Uh, God, keep us back from sinning because we, we didn't get something. May it not deflate us. May it not depress us. May we trust, God, that you are working all things for good, that you care for us, that we're not victims of this world's wrongdoings, God, that we are our children of the living God, that you are watching over us and that whatever happens to us, Father, it is for your glory, it's for our good. Help us to believe that. Father, I pray in those moments when our hearts are so tempted to run after other things, God, that you would keep us back from that to show us that Jesus is our treasure that we can be content in him, that we can find our joy, that what he offers to us, that he offers bread, he offers life, he offers living water that, that nothing in this world can give to us. Father, help us to believe and to treasure him in those moments. Father, we want to obey these laws. We want to see them as invitations, not as burdens to us. That only happens because we believe the gospel, that you loved us, that you ran to us in your son, that he is our king, so we treasure him. We now... Want to worship and and sing to him. We ask all this in Jesus' great name. Amen.